Uh, good evening, uh, sisters and brothers. Please do have a seat. And can I get you to keep your Bibles open to that page? And if you've lost it, then page 963. It's page 963 of the Church Bibles. We are continuing our series through Matthew today, as uh, Martin mentioned. Uh, the uh, uh, Church calendar looks at uh, the, baptiz uh, the baptism of Jesus. Uh, and we're continuing our series on Matthew. Now, I know that uh, this congregation missed out on Matthew 2 uh, last uh, Sunday night because of the diocesan service, and we did it at, uh, at uh, the Epiphany service the following night. So if, but if you missed out on that as well, uh, then you can always uh, get the Matthew 2 sermon online uh, from our website. All right? Uh, so we've done Matthew. We assume we've done Matthew 2. Uh, now we're in Matthew 3. Uh, on your way uh, in, you got a white bulletin, uh, and in the center page of the white bulletin, if you see the center page of the white bulletin, there's a sermon outline. Uh, so it'd be helpful if you had that open as well, uh, that sermon outline in the center page of the white bulletin. Uh, then you can see where we're up to in the sermon, uh, but most importantly to have Matthew chapter 3 on page 963. Let me lead us in prayer uh, as we begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word, uh, and we pray now that uh, your Spirit will enable me to preach your Word rightly and faithfully and in His power, uh, and that your Spirit would work in each one of our hearts that we would respond uh, correctly to Jesus in love and obedience. So we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the reasons that we like to have a new year is the opportunity to make a fresh start, isn't it? Right? All the shortcomings, all the ways that we've kind of like slacked. Well, here's an opportunity to draw the line and say, that's that. It's a new year. We're starting again. We'll turn over a new leaf. And that might be a helpful way for us to function. I particularly find it helpful myself. Though it is not a spiritual reality, is it? The turn of the year didn't really wipe our slate clean. And actually, we are still the same people that we were in December last year. But in our passage today, we will see God's people making a fresh start. Not just a New Year's resolution to be better, but a real new start. And we will see it happen in a very unexpected kind of way. And we'll see how we can have a fresh start as well. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 3 tells us that John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And verse 2 tells us his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's people had been waiting for his kingdom for a long, long time. Many years beforehand. Israel had been a kingdom under God. But because of their sin, God sent them into exile from the promised land. And yet even before the exile, the prophets had spoken about a time when they would return. God would wash them clean from their sin. God would pour His Spirit into their hearts. He would give them His promised king to rule over them. They would really have a fresh start as God's people. And when that happened, the whole world will have a fresh start. It'll be like the Garden of Eden once more. 
This would be the coming of the kingdom. Now, by this time, many of the Jews were back in the land. So at one level, you might say, well, the exile is already over. But the other promises of the kingdom hadn't been fulfilled. And the physical exile of Israel from the land because of sin, well, that was actually a picture of the real exile from the garden because of sin. And so really, God's people were still waiting for the end of the exile and the coming of the kingdom. The coming of the kingdom was closely linked with the idea of repentance. The idea of repent in Hebrew thought is a little bit different from that in Greek thought. The Greek word for repent means literally change your mind. But the Hebrew idea of repentance is to go back to the beginning and start again in a new direction. Go back to the beginning, start again. It's about a fresh start. And that is what John is calling God's people to here. Israel has sinned. They've done it wrong. They need to start again, and this time, to do it right. They need to start again as the people of God, as the people of His kingdom. And so John says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But can Israel really repent? Every time they tried to make a fresh start in the past, they ended up messing up again, didn't they? See that over and over again in the Old Testament. What's, what's going to be different this time? Well, we get a clue to this as we discover the identity of John the Baptist. In this passage, Matthew identifies him in two ways. First of all, he is the voice. Now, if you Google the voice, you will read that it is an American singing competition. But John the Baptist is different. It's a different kind of voice. Verse 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. The quotation is from Isaiah 40, our Old Testament reading just now. Isaiah 40 was written before the people of Israel were sent into exile, but it is speaking about the end of the exile. The voice in Isaiah 40 announces the exile is over. And so the call in Isaiah 40 is prepare the way of the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who's coming back to save and, and rule his people. And Matthew tells us that John the Baptist is his voice. And that means the real exile is coming to an end. Israel wouldn't just be physically back in the land, the kingdom would finally come. And it also tells us something about Jesus. Because in Isaiah 40, the Lord for whom the voice prepares the way is Yahweh, the God of Israel. And in Matthew's gospel, clearly identifies the Lord whom John is preparing the way for as the Lord Jesus. And so Matthew is telling us here in chapter 3, the very same thing he told us in chapter 1. That Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He is God come to save and rule his people. The second way in which Matthew identifies John is as Elijah. And a hymn we're going to sing later uses the word Elias. That's just an old English way of saying Elijah. Elijah was a great prophet of God who lived about 850 years before Christ. Christ. 
And what he did was he called Israel to repentance. But the prophet Malachi had said that before the day of the Lord, before the day of God's judgment, he was going to send Elijah the prophet. And so if Elijah comes, well, you know God is coming soon to bring both judgment and salvation. But Matthew doesn't actually mention Elijah here, does he? Or does he? If I saw, if I said that I saw a, a fat guy dressed in red with white cuffs, with a red and white hat, and a big white beard, who would you say that was? Santa or Father Christmas. And you could tell what season it is, couldn't you? What season is it? Christmas. Let me read to you a couple of verses from the Old Testament set at Elijah's time. It's 2 Kings 1, 7 and 8, and some people are reporting to the king of Israel about a man they've encountered. It says, the king said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. And the king said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. Now, look at verse 4 of Matthew chapter 3. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locust and wild honey because he's living in the desert. What is Matthew telling us here? He's telling us that, that John is the Elijah figure, isn't it? And if Elijah has come, then the day of salvation and judgment is the next thing on the agenda. Repent, John says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. So how does Israel respond? Well, verse 5 tells us that Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan, they were going out to him. And they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The whole nation seems to be wanting to come for repentance. This is good. They know they need to go back to the beginning and start again. They need a fresh start. Remember Israel's beginning? God rescued them from Egypt and brought them through the waters of the Red Sea and then from there into the desert. And now symbolically, as a nation, once again, they're going to walk through the waters and come out afresh. They wanted to be a new people, a fresh new people, ready for God to bring in His kingdom, ready for God to bring in the judgment and then the kingdom. But how's God going to do that? Well, the first thought might be that He might use the religious leaders. But look what John says to them when they come. Verse 7, he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. He says to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? These religious leaders, they're not going to bring in the kingdom. In fact, they were the first in line to face God's judgment. And so John warns them not just to repent, but to, but to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, to live a life in the new way. And they can't just say, oh, God's made promises to our father Abraham, where his descendants, we inherit the promises, we're okay. No, 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 no. 
John says, don't presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, verse 10, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Right, if you're going to cut down a tree, what do you do? You take the axe, right? You put it there. You get ready to swing. Right? So the axe is laid to the root of the tree, ready to swing. And he says, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Judgment, pictured here by fire, is about to come. And Israel's religious leaders are on the wrong side of it. They need a fresh start as well. You can't look to them to bring in the kingdom. But what about John himself? Could he be the one? Well, John says no. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John only baptized with water. Water was just a sign, a symbol that pointed to the reality. A reality that John himself couldn't bring about. The real baptism to which water baptism pointed to is a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. It's only through the Spirit baptism that the new people of God were going to emerge. It was only through the Spirit's baptism that the kingdom of heaven would come. And that baptism would be carried out by someone far, far, far more powerful than John. Someone whose sandals, John says, I'm not fit to carry. You know, in those days, a student was supposed to serve their master like a slave, except that he did not need to take off his shoes, because that's the lowest thing of all. And John says, the one who's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. He is so much greater than I. He's the one you're waiting for. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's only the Holy Spirit who can give new life. The real starting again that God promised through the prophets, that would only happen when the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people. Then he will make them a new people. Then he will give them new hearts which long to obey. Water baptism is a sign. John can give that, but only the coming one can baptize with the Holy Spirit. What about the fire? Well, we saw fire just now was about judgment, and well, John clarifies that here as well. Because he says in verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand. All right, the winnowing fork is the fork you use. It's like a shovel, right? You use to, to throw the grain into the wind, uh, and then the wind blows away the chaff, the bits that are rubbish because they're lighter, and the wheat, the good stuff, the heavier stuff, drops down. That's how they separate them, right? In our part of the world, they use that for paddy as well, isn't it? Right? They have these big, big, um, uh, big fans nowadays, right? And they take the shovel, and they, they throw it up. They call it mungangin, right? They throw it up. And the, and the fans blow the, 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 the husks, the humper, away. And then the good rice comes down. We separate those two. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And when he has sorted the wheat from the chaff, 
when the wheat is on one part of the threshing floor and the chaff is on the other, what's he going to do? Verse 12, he will clear his threshing floor and then he will gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Israel is going to be divided by this coming one into two groups of people. One group he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. These will be the new people of God. The other group we baptize with fire. They will face God's eternal judgment. Who is this coming one? Well, Matthew hints to us in verse 13, because straight away he says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John. And he came to be baptized by him, he says. Now that's a little bit strange, isn't it? Do you think about Jesus coming to be baptized by John? John thought so. He tried to prevent Jesus. He says in verse 14, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. Uh, John needs Jesus' baptism, the real one. But Jesus comes to John for the baptism of repentance. Now, think about it. If Jesus is sinless, why does he need to repent? Why does Jesus come for a baptism of repentance? Well, remember, repentance means go back to the beginning and start again. And that's what Israel needed to do. Are those of you who heard the Matthew 2 sermon from last week, remember what Matthew showed us with his quote from Hosea? Out of Egypt I have called my son. He was showing us that, that Jesus is the true Israel, isn't it? Jesus, the true Israel, was going to do what God's people have always failed to do. He was going to do what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders couldn't do. He was going to do what the people of Jerusalem and Judea and all the surrounding region couldn't do. He was going to live the life of perfect obedience. Like Israel, or instead, not like Israel, as Israel, he was going to go back to the beginning and start again. Baptized with the baptism of repentance. Like Israel of old, he would emerge from the water as God's chosen people. Like them, he would start by going out into the wilderness to be tempted. Not 40 years, but 40 days. And this time, he would do it right. He would live a life of complete obedience. He would be what Israel was meant to be and never was. He would, as he says in verse 15, fulfill all righteousness. And all the people from Jerusalem and Judea got baptized. Nothing actually happened, did it? Because, because that baptism was symbolic, was pointing to the baptism of the Spirit that was to come. But when Jesus got baptized, whoa, that was different. Look what happens in verse 16. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. The Spirit came upon him. 
See, he really is the true people of God. This really is the starting again. It's happening. But there is even more to the Spirit coming upon him that we discover in the next verse because there we hear another voice pointing to Jesus. Verse 17, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now there is a sense in which this is what God the Father has always said about God the Son. For all eternity, the Father has had a Son. He has always loved the Son. He has always been fully pleased with the Son. And now this eternal relationship is expressed in our world. And as it is, there's actually more to these words that, that, that help us understand Jesus even better. In Psalm 2, our psalm for today, God says to his promised king, you are my son. The king of God's kingdom is the son upon whom the spirit comes. Jesus is God's anointed king, the anointed one, anointed by the Spirit. He is the Son. In the book of the prophet Isaiah, a figure we know as the suffering servant is destined to rule the nations with justice. But first, he will suffer and die for the sins of God's people, taking the guilt and the punishment on their behalf. The phrase, with you I am well pleased, actually comes from Isaiah 42 where the servant is introduced and then God says, I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring justice to the nations. So the spirit coming upon Jesus shows that, that he is that servant, as the voice says. And there's another thing about what the voice says as well. The father calls Jesus his beloved son the son whom I love. And that's an echo of what God said to Abraham back in Genesis 22. You remember that? Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice to the special place I show you. And now he calls Jesus the son whom I love. For the servant to be the king he must first be the sacrifice. And so John's call, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was a call for the people of his day. The kingdom was about to come because Jesus was about to bring it in by his death and resurrection. The king was in their midst. He is anointed. Now, he's got to bring in the kingdom. Those who are the true children of Abraham would turn to Jesus. And Jesus himself would suffer the fire of the awful judgment of God for, for their sake and the sake of all his people as he would die upon the cross. Because the kingdom would only come after judgment. And then, he would pour out his spirit on his people so they can be part of the true Israel in him but those who rejected him 
they would be excluded. They might have been descended from Abraham biologically, but they were not Abraham's children. And so Jesus would bring division to Israel as he brought in the kingdom that was about to come. A division that persists even to this day. The kingdom came with the death and resurrection of the king. Jesus is the ascended king. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he said. The kingdom has come. We are in that kingdom. But there's another sense in which the kingdom is still to come. The kingdom has been inaugurated, and when Jesus returns, it will be consummated. The kingdom will come in all its fullness when Jesus comes back again. And let me remind us, as John said to the people of his day, the kingdom of heaven is near. The final fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, they will come soon. There is going to be a fresh start for the whole world. God will reign and God's people will reign with him. We will have hearts who, that truly love him, truly love others. Sin will be no more. All its consequences, death or mourning or crying or pain will be no more. It will be like the Garden of Eden once again, but better. We will enjoy God's presence forever. He will be our God. We will be his people. And this will be the final fresh start from which there would never need be any fresh start ever again. But once again, before salvation comes, before the kingdom comes, judgment must come first. Jesus will come back to save his people, but to judge the world. And the awful reality of that judgment is pictured for us here as unquenchable fire. For Jesus will divide people between the wheat and the chaff, between those who belong in his kingdom and those who don't. Do you belong in God's kingdom? Are you a subject of Jesus the King? Will you be saved on the day of judgment? Whether your father is Abraham or some other godly person won't help. Coming from a Christian family won't be enough. Being part of a religious group, even St. Mary's Cathedral, Kuala Lumpur, is not enough. The axe is already at the foot of the tree. You need to repent. You need to start life all over again. This time with Jesus as king. With his spirit in your heart. You need a fresh start. I can't give it to you. You can't give it to yourself. Only Jesus can give you this fresh start. So you call out to Jesus. And you ask him to give you this new life. And for those who have this new life, what we've learned about Jesus today helps us to live that life. A new life with Jesus as King means that we surrender to him and we take refuge in him. 
Psalm 2, that the voice from heaven alluded to, ends with these words. Kiss the Son, submit to the Son, bow before the Son, the King, lest He be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for His wrath can flare up in a moment. And then it says, Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. You cannot take refuge from Him, but you can take refuge in Him. You come to Jesus as King, if you trust in Jesus as King, then you are safe in Him. And you can be confident that you are safe in Him, that He saves you from the wrath to come, because remember we saw He is the suffering servant the beloved sacrificial son. If you're trusting in Jesus, then you know that he died for your sins. He took your guilt on the cross, and so it's no longer on you. If you are his, then all your sins have been paid for already. They're gone, and you can have confidence on the day of judgment that they won't be cited against you. And so you can live this new life, not wallowing in guilt, but confident that your sins are forgiven. And you can be confident that you are secure because, because remember, Jesus is the true Israel who repented on our behalf and fulfilled all righteousness for us. He is the one who kept the law perfectly, which means we no longer have to be perfect to be saved. Of course, we're all going to be pressing on towards the goal of holiness. That's it's part of living with Jesus as king and you know, mustn't have moral laxity among God's people. But the fact that Jesus has done it for us means that when we do fall, and we all do, we don't stop being God's people. For what we have in Jesus is not just his death on our behalf. We have been given his perfect life lived on our behalf as well. He is the true Israel, the true people of God. Our life is in Him. We have been given His righteousness. But if we trust in Christ and have escaped the coming judgment, we still need to maintain the urgency the day of judgment is coming. The axe is already at the foot of the tree. Like John the Baptist, we know that disaster awaits those who have not repented. And so we need to be passionate as we remember those whom we care for. To urge them to repent and be forgiven before it's too late. To invite them to come and meet Jesus and to find new life in him. In our passage today, we heard two voices telling people about Jesus. The voice of John the Baptist at the beginning of the passage and the voice of the Father at the end. Let's join our voices with theirs as we proclaim the one who came not only to judge the world but to save and rule his people to give us that fresh start to be our Lord forever.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is the Son whom you love and with whom you are well pleased. And we thank you that you love us and are pleased with us in him. Thank you that he has gone back to the beginning and started again for us. That he lived the perfect life that we have failed to live. And that he died the death that we deserved on our behalf. Going through the, the, the fire of your judgment for us. Before rising again and ascending to heaven as the glorious king in your kingdom. We thank you that he was able to give your people a fresh start when he, when he poured out your spirit at Pentecost and baptized them in the spirit. And we thank you that we have been baptized in the Spirit and had given new life when we put our faith in him. Father, we pray for anyone here present who has not yet received this new life, this Spirit baptism, this, this fresh start that comes by faith in Christ. Have mercy upon them, we pray. And so work in them by your Spirit that they acknowledge their sin. And turn in trust to Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And Father, we pray for us as your people. You have given us a new life. Please help us to live that new life you've given us. Following the footsteps of Jesus. And we pray that like John, we might lovingly proclaim the kingdom. Warn those we care for of the wrath to come. And point them to the Savior. That they too may be part of the ultimate fresh start that we will share at the end of this age. When everything is made new. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen.